Welcome to the Beyond High Performance Podcast, featuring content and conversations from me, Jason Jaggard, along with our elite coaches at Novus Global, their high-performing clients, and the faculty at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching. On this podcast, you'll hear some of the world's best executive coaches and high-performing leaders, artists, and athletes discuss how they continue to go beyond high performance in their lives and businesses. I think that's a really weak muscle in a lot of people to be able to have uncomfortable, difficult conversations about things that we might not have the answer on. We're so quick to say, it's you, it's them, it's this, it's, it has nothing to do with me. Welcome to our latest episode of On Coaching, where our elite coaches from Novus Global explore the question, does meta performance lead to burnout? Today, we're exploring that question as well as what to do with it with coaches Jason Jaggard, Dan Leflar, Amanda Jaggard, and myself, John Roberts. You're gonna hear us discuss the differences between achievement and meta-performance, and also how meta-performance is most about a state of being rather than just setting bigger goals. We're also gonna dive into how meta-performance lives on a spectrum and the importance of celebration within meta-performing cultures. With so many humans, leaders, and organizations looking to get the most out of their lives and resources, the topic of burnout has never been more important. We hope you enjoy the podcast, and more than that, we hope you find an insight or learning today that you can turn into action. Enjoy the show. So welcome again to On Coaching. I'm Jason, and I'm so excited to have a conversation with three of my favorite people that we don't really get to be around each other that much. We see each other on the screens every now and then, but we have Amanda Jaggard, who is the co-founder of the Institute for Meta Performance, and she created that with me several years ago. Say hi, Amanda. Hello. And then we have the one, the only, recovering from all the things, John Roberts. Great to have <laughs> you back in the studio. He's one of our top performing coaches. Uh, he's one of the best coaches I've ever seen in my life. And uh, he was our director of development for several years. And we're really glad to have him on the show. Say hi, John. Hi, everybody. And you look terrific. And then also Dan Lafalar, the director of Novus Global Sport. He oversees all the work that we're doing with all the professional athletes and all the sports. And we're happy to have Dan on the show as well. Say hi, Dan. Hello, everyone. Wonderful. So the topic that we're talking about today, we're actually really excited about, and we're, we're really excited to explore this together even as we continue to wrestle out what this means for our work and our lives. And so one of the quotes that oftentimes we'll tell clients is, if you don't know how something can be abused, you're probably in danger of abusing it. And that's true of anything. An easy example is the idea of empathy. You know, Brene Brown kind of made the idea of empathy very, very popular. And then a lot of people started putting empathy at the center of their life. But then also I got introduced to ideas like uh, Jean Marie Jobs, who's a colleague of ours and a very talented executive coach, introduced me to the idea of empathy extortion, which is where you demand empathy from others and actually manipulate people to get empathy from them. Or even John introduced me to a book called Against Empathy, which talks about the ways that empathy can be misused and actually get in the way of problem solving. And it's not saying that empathy is bad. It's just saying empathy is, and there's healthy expressions of empathy and unhealthy expressions of empathy. In the same way, and by the way, some of you may already be rubbed the wrong way because oftentimes when people put something at the center of their lives and you suggest maybe there's an unhealthy expression of that, we take it personally. In that same spirit, we're going to be talking about the idea of meta-performance. If you've been around our world for a while, you've heard this idea of meta-performance, the idea of constantly reinventing what you're capable of, constantly reinventing what high performance means for you. 
And, you know, part of what we do for a living is we coach people into meta performance. We go into companies and the three of us, John, Dan, and Amanda, have spent a lot of time, several years, working with companies at scale, working with teams and helping them build what we call meta performing cultures and helping them create cultures where everyone in the organization is seeking to go beyond high performance. And so we want to practice, you know, what we preach and swallow some of our own medicine and the idea of, okay, let's take the idea of meta performance and how can meta performance, the idea of meta performance be abused, uh, specifically in the idea of burnout energy. You know, if someone's always striving, always going 110% and then all of a sudden you get tired or what some of the things we've been hearing from some of our favorite clients is they've got people on their team or sometimes it's them. They say, Hey, like I worked with John or I worked with Dan, I worked with Amanda. And it's like, I couldn't believe what we accomplished and our teams are getting bonuses and doing happy dances in the hallways because all this is up and to the right. And it's all very exciting. And then all of a sudden we get really tired. And then all of a sudden we, uh, we get, uh, run out of gas, we have, we run out of, run out of gas. So that's, that's the tension that we're going to be kicking around in this conversation. So the first question I want to ask is, does, meta performance lead to burnout. And so, and I'll, I'm going to kick that to the three of you and I can see if, you know, obviously you can't, if you're listening to this, you can't see anything, but Amanda is doing the, I'm thinking, I'm pondering face. Anybody can take a swing. What do you think? How would you respond to that? If someone says, hey, meta performance, I, I, I'm, I'm becoming a meta performer, I'm practicing with my team and it's leading to burnout. Uh, is that what meta performance does? Yeah, I, I, my answer is no. If that's what's happening, you don't understand what meta performance truly is as a total conversation. And so I could go deeper into that answer, but that's my, that's my first answer. Yeah, well, we will come back to that. Let's put a pause there just for a second. And maybe Amanda and John have similar answers, but yeah, no, I, I, I think that's where the, the term meta performance might get misused. And I might say like, I might generalize it more life leads to burnout. Mm. Like I think the, the human condition of living will inevitably lead to burnout, which is why meta performance is so beautiful. The idea of constantly reinventing, and we can probably get into this deeper later, but um, a key question, whenever we're doing the work of, of greater results and greater performance, I, I always ask like, are we loving this? Do we enjoy this? <laughs> is it worth it? Because, yeah. and that's a very honest question because like I'm thrilled when people look at me after six, 12, 18 months and they go like, no, this is like my life's better than it's ever been before. And I'm bored or I'm tired. And I'm like, fantastic that we've realized that now, what do we get to do with it? And so I almost expect burnout and, and even, you know, in, in the lives of my clients. And then it's fascinating. I'm in a phase of my life where I think burnout snuck up on me a little mm -hmm. bit where I was like, oh, my life's amazing. And then a few, a th uh, a few things happen <laughs> and you, you start going, oh, interesting blind spots, huh? Fascinating well, that those live mm -hmm. there. What's weird about that, John, is you're talking like how, there's this, maybe it's a cultural conversation, but there's this kind of typical sort of story about somebody who's in their career in their 30s and then they get to their 40s and they have this midlife crisis or they burn out. There's a lot of books on burnout right now and that and I've heard leaders uh talk about this and say like it's it's inevitable like there'll be a season of your life when you just hit the wall and it seems like it's a very consistent conversation. And, and what's interesting is to hear the arc that happens. It's like you hit this wall and then you reinvent yourself and you learn these new skills or you clarify what you really care about and then your life moves on. And what I think actually meta performance is is a practice of that before it happens 
to you. It's like it's like you you begin to choose it. So maybe we're going off track here, Jay. But but yeah, that's what comes. I up think it's me. a key. I think it's a key point because I think what I like. It's interesting, Dan, that you bring up midlife. I think the meta performance conversation that we get to introduce into the lives of individuals and teams and companies. What's amazing about it is it starts asking them the question: Who are you? What's important yep. to you? There's a reason it happens in midlife. The pain finally, and it's like it's like it's almost like the human's last like will to live before they <laughs> fade off in the existence. I see us introducing that through meta performance early on. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. What do you want to do? What's important to you? Who do you care about? What's your realm of impact? And and once you start that conversation, it's like cool. Well, we're on, and and it's almost it's interesting. It's almost like a matrix, like. Once you've taken the pill, can you ever go back? I often think about it. It's like, can you ever go back to ignorance mm. once once you've had the conversation? Yeah, so. I like that. For me, there's a difference between achieving and meta performance. Mm. Yeah, say more about that. Well, like, um, so I'm a type three on the Enneagram. So I've grown up loving to achieve and 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 perform and like ac- accomplish. But to me, meta performance, I think it's what you guys are all saying, like, it's so much deeper than that. When I talk to a lot of people in their 40s, which is where I am right now, so um, like it is there, people have spent so much time achieving, but they haven't asked these uh, larger, deeper questions about who am I, like what you guys what you guys were saying. And so I think when we make it all about achieving and performing, that's where then it can it can get lost. Say more about that. Like, how would you define achieving and how it can lean the bird out? And by the way, I think John and Dan and I are going to let you get away with labeling yourself as a number and some assessment that somebody made up a thousand years I was, ago. I was like, is that like Instagram? That's what yeah. I wanted to say, but I didn't That's, do that. <laughs> so I think, I think what you meant to say was that you took an assessment and the, 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 of the numbers, the one that resonated with you the most was the number three. Uh, yeah, one time. <laughs> and man, if you were going to say there's a distinction and, and achieving is one half, what's the other side of the distinction that's not achieving? What's the healthy expression of that? Well, I think it is, it's incorporating all of the, all the rules of the game. So I can achieve, but at the cost of what? There's been seasons of my life where I was so about achieving something that I was willing to pay any cost, whether it be my health, my relationships in order to, to achieve that. But to me, meta performance is incorporating, like setting it like rules of my game for myself. Mm -hmm. So I'm in this for the long haul, not just the short term win of necessarily achieving. And I'm, and I think that there's a season for that sometimes too, like Beyonce's homecoming. She talks about, um, like she just had twins and had had a C-section and 10 months later, she's doing Coachella to get her body back in shape. She almost died giving birth. And she's like, it was amazing. And she got to do that incredible thing. And she said, I will never do something like that again. And by way of metaphor, as you were talking about that, Amanda, it was like clicking in my head. So unfettered growth, like just growth for the sake of growth, that's called cancer, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when when growth is in alignment with a system, like the body repairing itself, and and it is it is connected with all the other systems, and the impacts of those systems are being uh, paid attention to. There's a holistic, healthy version of growth that exists versus uh, like a just growth for the sake of growth. So that that's kind of a helpful metaphor for me to hang my thoughts on in terms of what you just said because I, I it lands for me. Which brings up Dan. 
and and this is this, I haven't really ever thought about this before, but when you drop meta performance into a culture or into a team, an interesting conversation would be to have around trust, because hmm. uh, like like when we talk about growth and when we would talk about meta performance to have that conversation and to be willing to take that on as a team, like we have to trust in the same way that the body is going to heal itself. We have to trust that it will do that and, and, and that it will, you know, that it won't overreach and that it won't go too far. I find often when people are considering meta performance, do I want to grow? Do I want to, you know, leave the safety of the comfort of what I know to go, answer some of these questions like, will I get hurt? Will I burn out? Will it be too much for me? Will they ask for more? Yeah. Um, I, I find all those to be reasons people stay. They're like, no, 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 it's, it's safe over here. Yeah. Well, and there's a deeper conversation that happens too, because I think like when you start thinking about a goal, like a particular goal, and then you start asking those questions, and then you start, I think, asking one of the more powerful questions, which is like, who would I need to be to do that? one of the answers is probably healthy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I would, I would, how would I need to upgrade even the way I rest? And that, how would I need to upgrade the way I care for myself in order to, like, I'm, I'm training for an Ironman. It's, I've been training for an Ironman for three years because of the pandemic. But like, there's this idea, like, there's my goal. But if I don't train for it, if I don't upgrade my diet, and I don't upgrade a lot of the the, the rest and the rituals and all those things around it, I will die. Like I, I will not, I will, I might achieve the goal, but my body will completely fall apart. So yes. I think meta performance is not just about the goal. It's about the whole system of upgrading the individual to achieve that rest included. The Ironman is a really good example. An Ironman triathlon marathon. It's amazing at what the body can go achieve right? It's amazing at what you can go out and achieve. It'll destroy your body and could have long-term consequences on it. And you'll hate probably the, the few remaining weeks versus the person who, who jumps into the process and who says, no, I want to do that Ironman. I, no, I've never done it before. It's a massive challenge for me. I'm going to get to change the way I train. I'm going to get to learn new ways. I'm going to hire these trainers. I'm going to hire these coaches. And that's a disciplined person. And often they love the process, right? And their body loves, the, you know, I don't know if your body can ever love an Ironman, <laughs> but as much as it can, because it said, oh no, this is the game we're playing. I've been prepared. That's, that's an interesting compare and contrast to me between just achievement. Hey, could you do it? Probably. Uh, but what, at what cost versus someone who's committed to a meta performance goal yeah. in that way? A few things I'm hearing there. One is, in some ways, when we're talking about meta performance, it is kind of a don't try this at home. Like don't don't do this by yourself. It, it almost like requires a team to walk with you and to pay attention, a greater sense of attention to to your leadership metrics, your biometrics, mm -hmm. your emotional metrics, those types of things. And that, you know, I hear Dan saying that a huge component of meta performance is learning, stepping up your rest game. You know, probably all three of us have heard yes. the, uh, and I'd be curious to see what, Be I don't know if Beyonce, if she talked about this in the documentary, but I think, I think it was LeBron James. I heard an interview with him where he talked about how much he slept and how he yep. sleeps like, mm -hmm. like 12 hours, 12 hours, <laughs> you know, and you would look at him and be like, you know, somebody who's stupid might say that's lazy, but because of how he treats his waking hours, it demands that kind of rest Yes. And so as you are engaging in this, and one of the things that uh, it would be great, I think we can continue to grow in helping companies understand is there, there needs to be a equal proportionate 
upgrade of resting as you upgrade your performance. And even to go along with rest, I like the word lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, it's not just, we're going to, we're going to double the the revenue goals. It's like a fundamental lifestyle change. Like your, your work life should look different. Your home life should look different. And that's a good thing. And that's the key point because so humans are just inherently terrified of change. Well, John, I don't want to run past something you just said, because I think a lot of people pick goals and then try to cram their current lifestyle towards the new yes. goal. So they, yes. they're like, oh, like, that's kind of been my approach, like self-confessed person who doesn't know how to upgrade himself very well. So shameless plug for hiring people to help you. Uh, <laughs> but right, <laughs> John, Jason, and Amanda, all the people on these, all these coaches on this call have coached me directly. And this is something that I've realized is a strategy that I often em- employ is, oh, I have a goal. I'll just work harder. Yep. <laughs> like I'll just put my head down. Yep. Yes. I got on my bike, um, uh, a month ago and rode 200 kilometers. Uh, what's that? 130 miles or something like that in one, in one time. Cause I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to just see what that felt mm-hmm. like. Now that seems like a crazy thing to most people, but, but very much of that mindset, like I haven't really been training for this. I'm just going to put my head in down and do it. I couldn't walk <laughs> for like, properly for a week. Like my, my knee was all jacked up because that's often my approach. My approach is, uh, here's my current lifestyle. I'll just pick crazy goals and then jam my lifestyle into it. And that I think is what a lot of people do. Like the hustle culture is about, and I don't think that's a, that's a great way to go about it. Dan, for me, as you're saying that it's, it's thinking in terms of systems, Mm -hmm. like I, my life doesn't exist in a vacuum goals. I set for myself don't exist in a vacuum. So like, I'm looking at my, my parenting. So I'm looking at how I'm showing up as, as a mom and all these things are factored in and it is, it's working it out so that the vision to me, meta performance is kind of this idea of, I can have it all. And so And the problem is, I think people start down that rabbit trail or conversation about goals, and then they back off them because they're not willing to reinvent their lifestyle. Change the they're not like, the, yeah, like change, what if, yeah. Hey, to achieve that, I'm going to change the whole system. Well, goodness, that seems like a lot of work. But what John was just saying is like, when you begin to think about achieving things that you've never done before, and then you think about the lifestyle that's going to be required to achieve it, that's where things start unlocking in incredible ways. Yeah. That's, I think, where, Danny, to even just what you were just saying, like, that's where transformation happens. And to me, again, I think that's the difference between achieving and truly transforming. So I I can achieve and go hard after something. And Dan, to your point, I can just work harder, work more, all the things and push it. Like, we all have that muscle of, you know, suck it up and push through. But to me, the transformation of myself, my character, the character of those around me, um, it it bleeds into everything. And for me, that's what meta performance looks like. I might push back on one thing, Amanda, when you say anybody can do that suck it up thing. I disagree. I think think that our (laughs) culture and especially the teams and the workforces that has been the go-to, like who is strong enough, who are the strongest among us that can suck it up, that can take the, you know, take on enough, push through when they rise to the top. And then they try to gather teams of people who can do that. And then that often becomes your leadership at the top. Mm -hmm. And I think there's major costs that come from that. Mm -hmm. 
uh, mm-hmm. f- f- from from even even managing talent and calibrating talent or identifying talent from that scenario. And I tell my clients all the time, I say, because often they'll come to me and they'll be incredibly strong at being able to sacrifice things in their life to get something that they want. They're good at that. They're, they're disciplined. They can do it. And I say, hey, I love that you have that skill. I love that we, we know that we can do it that way. So, so let's, we don't have to get rid of it. We don't have to destroy it, but let's set it on the shelf. And then if we're going to use it, let's be real with each other. Like, hey, in the next two weeks, this is what I'm going to choose to do. And I love that clarity because then we're not surprised. And then two weeks later, we can have a separate conversation around, okay, hey, Dan, how was the 130-mile bike ride? Like, what happened to your knee? Do we need to do anything for that? Because eyes wide open, we did that thing and, and we use that tool. Yeah. So what I hear you saying, John, is for some people, it's not that they have access to that muscle, it's that that muscle is accessing them. And oftentimes it's unconscious. And then we build these unconscious cultures where we're just compulsively striving and achieving without taking a step back and thinking, am I being masterful? and surgical with that muscle and with that ability. And I I like the way you said creating cultures of that because what then happens is you get a very top-heavy leadership organization of these, we can do it, we're strong enough, and then it becomes a what? An us against them with the bottom half of who are going, no, we never said we could do that. We never said that we could suck it up and get it all done. We never claimed to have that skill. Well, you know, it's interesting. I was going to mention this a few minutes ago, but I'd like to throw it out there. You know, Whenever you hear people talk about burnout, oftentimes they associate it with uh, high performance or in our context, people will say, hey, we were high performers, now we're trying to be meta performers and now we're burning out. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is, I don't know if there's a correlation between burnout and what level of performance that you're at. Like I know low performers who burn out. I know performers that burn out. I know high performers who burn out. And of course, meta performers who burn out. It's an interesting thing that burnout actually isn't correlated with how competent you are or even where you are in the organization or, you know, how hard you work, it does seem to be related to something else. Yeah. Even as you're talking, Jason, I'm going, what is the working definition of burnout? You know, I've been Googling it uh, recently or doing, I guess there's, there's books on it and articles on it and a a few things. One is like where, where you, you don't have any motivation anymore. It's almost like a form of chronic boredom or depression where there's like fatigue there's the things that used to excite you don't excite you anymore. It sounds like low grade, almost low grade depression or lack of like, yeah, like you you're one things you used to be motivated to do or engage in no longer hold any sort of yeah. gravitational pull for you. Yep, stress, a decreased satisfaction and things that used to give you uh, pleasure. And what's interesting about that is does that, that in some ways, and I don't, again, I don't know if this is relevant to the conversation, but I want to be careful that we don't, say, hey, be careful about being a meta-performer or you're burnout, but rather to say, hey, here are things that lead to burnout, whether you're trying to be a meta-performer or not. Well, and, and, and again, I like to go back to the very beginning of our conversation uh, so far. I, I think equating, meta, putting meta-performance on one end of a scale and putting burnout on the other is, that dichotomy is that doesn't false. work. That's what I, that's, that's really what I'm, I, I want to really be clear about because I think the moment you do that, <laughs> the moment you put that as a dichotomy, it changes the nature of the way you're going to approach even those concepts to think that, well, meta performance and inevitably it will lead to that versus no meta performance is about escaping that at some level. When people hear meta performance, this idea to reinvent, to grow, to, to, to explore what you're capable of, 
it's almost like more. That's what they hear. They hear mm-hmm. more, 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 and it, yeah. and it frightens them. Whereas what we're kind of talking about is it's a, it's a more of a state of being. And, and it's almost like, Hey, wherever you're at, whatever level of performance you're at, like where, <laughs> what is your state of being? Like, do you wake up every day full of life, ready to go? And almost if you were, what would you then want to go do? It's a different conversation. One is like, one is like movement along a timeline. I'm here now. I need to get there versus one is like, Hey, I care about my level of existence in this present moment. And, and so, but based on that, here's what I'm going to choose to do with my life, my job, my career, my growth. I am curious, like personally, what's our own experience of burning out? We're in a conversation with four people that I think are notorious for not necessarily knowing how to rest well. I don't know if that's true or not, actually, but... Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind for me, and I'm curious what other people think as well. And we'll get into practical tips for rest and those types of things. Yeah, exactly. In a second, and I think people will be served by that. We oftentimes say that coaching is a contact sport and like meta performance is a contact sport, so you have to build seasons of rest in. It's It's like filling a water balloon up to see where the holes are. And I think that I use meta performance in part in my own life, like striving for growth, striving for reinvention, striving for thinking about what's next and how can I expand my capacity to do whatever it is that I want to do. What I notice is the more I lean into that, it exposes cracks. It exposes ways I'm not managing myself well. It exposes things that can hide at a lower level of performance. And so when I lean into it, I think sometimes people look at, oh, you're, you're seeing all these cracks and you're seeing the leaks in the ship and that's a problem. And so then the solution is to slow the ship down versus learn how to patch the ship up. And so that, yes. I think that's been my experience is as I lean hard into this, it's never how do I slow down? I'm totally an advocate of slowing down to speed up, but that's always a secondary question for me. It's always how do I upgrade my ship so that I don't have to slow down? Yeah. And I wouldn't know how to upgrade yeah. it if I hadn't have uh, you know, sped the boat in the first Long. place. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because we, we'll talk about like not judging things or even the idea around what we resist persists. And so if I create this like judgment around burnout, mm. that it's bad. So when I notice it, then like something's wrong, something's bad. Now I'm going to be afraid of it. And so I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, to avoid that happening because it's bad. But Jason, what I hear you saying is like, it's not bad. It's just, it's, it's a sign, it's information. And you get to take that information and do something with it. It's diagnostic. Well, I mean, imagine if mm-hmm. when Dan, after riding his bike and was super, super tired or sore as he's trains for the, for the Ironman, if he would get like mad at himself for being sore after a workout... <laughs> It's like, or judge himself for being sore after a workout. Well, and actually what's funny about that was what that ride revealed to me was that I have a chronic issue with part of my knee that will reoccur if I don't treat it. And so I texted, I, I, I work with some of the best athletes in the world. They work with some of the best physical therapists in the world. And I texted one of the therapists of one of the guys that I work with. And said, hey, like, can we get on a call? Can you show me how to fix this? Because if I hadn't have done that ride in my head, I'm like, well, it's probably going to be okay. It probably won't be a big deal. After a ride, I'm like, oh my gosh, if I have to run after riding that far on that knee, it's not going to work. So it's very much describing what your boat metaphor, I think it was helpful. Well, I think for me too, I think all of us are 
are either currently seeing a therapist or have seen a therapist in the last year. And uh, hopefully that's not outing anybody in a way they don't want to want to be out. John is my therapist. Uh, he came to Calgary just to thera- therapize me. Usually, <laughs> so usually we're pretty open about the helping professions and things and the tools that we access. And, and yeah. a, a quick story that I was thinking of around this, because there is a cost to meta performance and, the, and it's not good or bad. It's just, there's a cost to it. And an example of that is I remember I was, I used to live in Beverly Hills and I was having dinner with a friend of mine and I got a text from another friend of mine in Australia saying, Hey, my niece or something was in, she's an agent. She's an Australian agent with, with, with actors. She's going to be in Beverly Hills. Could you, and I know you're having dinner. Could you invite her last second to dinner? So she has someone to hang out with. And I said, sure. So, uh, so he told her where we were going to be and she walked in and joined us. And she was this vivacious, very, very energetic. Like just, she, she walked in the room and the whole room lit up uh, with her energy and thinner. And, and that is only per- important because of a part of the story I'm about to tell you. So we're having dinner together, the three of us. And we're, and some, I maybe asked like an icebreaker question, like what's one thing about you that no one would ever guess. And she said, she, she probably weighed at that point maybe like 150 pounds, something like that, uh, maybe in between 125 and 150 pounds. And she goes, oh, something that you probably wouldn't guess about me, Jason, is that I used to weigh 350 pounds. And I thought she had gotten the measurements wrong, I, like, from, like from kilograms to, you know, not that it works that way, but but that, that was, I was like, she can't possibly. <laughs> she can't convert stones yeah, to pounds. <laughs> you, you don't really mean that. And she pulled out a picture of herself uh, a year, a year wow. and a half ago and she weighed between three to 400 pounds. And we had the most interesting conversation afterwards. And part of it was diet and things like that, but she also had some major surgeries and things like that to take care of that. And what she said was, you know, Jason, uh, changing your body is actually pretty easy. Changing your perception of yourself is actually really hard. And people who go through that kind of dramatic uh, alteration of their physical being, they have to go to therapy in order to talk through the fact that they aren't, and like, she's like the attention that I got from men radically changed. That was a huge adjustment. Like all of these things, my, my whole life changed. And there's, there's for lack of a better phrase, trauma or grief that goes with rapid yes. change, even if it's a positive change. And I think one of the things that is important to, to say to teams and people who are experiencing rapid change or creating rapid change for themselves is that there, you can expect a grief. You can expect a loss. You can expect a, a yes. kind of psychological uh, buckling of the the system that you have and that you have to build complementary systems to help you navigate that. It's funny that you mentioned grief like uh, or change. To be a, someone who's committed to meta performance and really exploring what you're capable of, it is a commitment to not only holistically thinking about things, ambitiously thinking about things, but also processing. And and that's that's a form of self-care, caring yeah. for yourself that is, I think, missed a lot in growth. Like, how often yeah. do we talk about handling success? Yeah, that's right. Um, well, you know, like, how, <laughs> you know, how often do we, uh, you know, your relationship got a lot better. And everyone's like, oh, that must be a good thing. It's like, well, it is a good thing, but it's, it's, it's also a different it's foreign. thing. So how do I, it's foreign. Like, I, I am in a new country yeah. and it, it's a culture shock, yep. you know, like where you, you show up and it's, it's not that the culture's bad or, you know, but there is a shock. And the reason why I mentioned uh, the story of um, the woman that I met was I, you know, I'm currently seeing a therapist and my life has changed a lot. And, and every 12 months, it kind of changes a lot. Yes. And I need someone to talk through 
I need someone to talk with and make meaning from. I'm a huge fan of talk therapy. And really, it's just the guy listening to me process and help connect the new dots that are in my life that weren't there 12 months ago, yes. six months ago, or whatever. I have to continually process that, or I choose to. And, that, and that's part of the cost of constantly reinventing your world. Amanda, you're going to say something. Yeah, the the grief piece I think is for me is actually really big um, and something that I talk about a lot with my clients because I think like they do experience this growth and then they're in a new place or they get a new job and they've left the previous job or your friendships change or your financial situation changes and that changes where like places that you're at socially or just all the different dynamics there. And people think, oh, this is so good. It's like getting married. Like after the wedding, a lot of times brides will have like a depression mm -hmm. after the wedding. And mm -hmm. it's like, yes, because it's a change. Like there's loss. Like there, And so for me, I hold like growing in vision and grief very... Um, they, they come hand in hand. And in order to learn how to grow well, we have to learn how to grieve well. Yeah. And so it's actually like it's a conversation I'll have with clients a lot. Like what are the losses how do you know how to grieve um, and developing that skill as a, an important piece of growth and meta performance? Well, and, and I think too, for me, it's interesting because I'm just reflecting on my own growth and each of us probably has an area where we're paying less attention to. For me, it's, you know, I put my head down, I push things through. I don't necessarily slow down to celebrate or upgrade mm -hmm. how I'm doing something. Those are the two biggest gaps. So like John and I have regularly have these conversations where I'm like, Hey, like, what are you doing? And Jason too. I guess no, we all right. do. But what, what are you, what are you doing to like celebrate that? In fact, my, my, um, my, my admin, Julianne is fantastic. She, I had a client renew this week and like, that's a very common thing in my practice. It's not a shock, but she, she asked me, she's like, so how are you going to celebrate that? Yeah. And the, uh, even the slowing down to ask myself, am I going to celebrate? Do I celebrate things? Like, it seems so simple, but even to, even to throw, you know, a little bit of glitter up in my office and go Wee! like that, that would be probably really good for yeah. me. Um, uh, you need and, pom poms, Dan. I yeah, have pom -poms. Exactly. Like, you need, you need my pom poms. Well, I think, I think, uh, from an individual and, and even taking it back to the team in the corporate workspace is, do you care? Is it important to you how you feel? And this is an energy question, mm -hmm. I think, mm -hmm. um, and I think it can get lost. And I, I don't know if it's an always if it's always a safe question amongst teams to go like, yeah, no, we've got it. We've got the goals. We've got the data. And like, how do we want to feel about it? How do we feel about it right now? What would we need to shift? Because um, that's even for you, Dan, it's like, hey, man, like you're doing all these incredible things in your life. Like, do you want to be excited about them? Do you want to share them with other people? <laughs> and it really depends. Some people might say, no, I could care less. I, I really don't. That's not important to me. I just want to keep pushing through and, and, and getting these results. Well, but paying attention to that, I think asking that question of, hey, like it's like when somebody says I'm really excited about something and they do not sound excited at all. <laughs> you can't tell your face that. It's like, huh? Like, uh, I love what you said, John. Like, let's pay attention yeah. to how you're feeling about it. Like, what does that reveal where your energy is and where it's coming from and maybe what needs to be attended to? Yeah. So, so if, if people are listening to this and if, if our clients who oftentimes are leading large companies are listening to this, I think what, what they hear oftentimes from their teams are, hey, I'm really tired or hey, I'm, I'm scared to lean into this yeah. because you're just going to put more on me or, or we accomplished this outrageous goal and we all kind of burnt the candle at both ends and now they, they move the goalposts again 
And now they're asking us to do it again. And I think there's emotional spectrum that goes with meta performance. And frankly, one of the things I like about the meta performance conversation is it really kind of cracks you open to the full human experience. So you have, are you celebrating? You know, like Dan, it would benefit Dan and probably the four of us to, to, to celebrate well. And by the way, if you're, if you are pursuing meta performance and not celebrating, you're kind of cheating and, and there's going to be a cost for that. You're, 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 it's like, mm-hmm. it's like when you sprain your ankle, you're favored and then you hurt your back. You know, you're, you're, you're not, you're cheating the system. Celebration has to be a component of meta performance. Otherwise it, you'll kind of deflate the tires on the other side of the emotional spectrum. There's the, and I think this is, you know, John, to your point, maybe a little bit is the, I, I'm scared to tell my boss, or I'm scared to tell my manager that this isn't fun, or I'm scared to tell my manager that I don't know how to do this, or I'm scared to tell my manager that I'm tired or that this isn't fulfilling or isn't rewarding, or I'm scared to tell my manager that I'm burnt out. And I would love to hear the three of you talk about what would you say as a gift to the to the manager? Like, how can you equip managers who are pursuing meta performance on how to handle teammates who are saying, hey, I'm tired, this isn't fun, I'm burnt out. And then what would you say as a gift to team members who are reporting to a boss who's working with us and they're saying, hey, take the hill, go, 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 break your brain, expand the fence, you know, all the phrases that we you know, teach and, they're, and you're a team member and you're saying, I'm scared or I'm tired or I feel burnout or whatever. I'd love to hear you address both of those groups of people in a way that could serve them and moving forward with that kind of tension. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a shot as a, as a leader or as a manager, if anybody ever comes and has the courage to tell you how they're feeling burned out, tired, any of that, my advice is just to like pause. Mm. (laughs) Like, cause I, what I often see is when somebody chooses to share that, the leader who is probably also has a lot that they're trying to do and a lot that they're trying to get done, Mm. that wave hits them and what happens to them? They get scared. Oh no, I don't need this today. I didn't need this right now. And, and so then this is how we get into these cycles of where we're not having these conversations. So yeah. my dream, and, and even when I'm in teams, when those moments happen, I go, sweet, nobody say anything. Like, let's just live in the moment of the experience of what just happened. This is a beautiful new moment. Hey, cool. We're getting results, but it doesn't sound like we're getting them with the energy that we want or mm-hmm. with the, the idea. Like I was just speaking with a, a leader last week Hey, hey, John, my, my team's getting incredible results, but they're reporting back that, you know, it feels like we just ran a marathon, mm, yeah. <laughs> right? That exhaustion, that tiredness. Yeah. John, I, I don't know if they're going to want to like go again this next year. And it's going, hey, that's a brilliant conversation. How do we have a life-giving conversation to go, hey, if we get to run a marathon again this next year, how do we, or, you know, call it whatever you want how do we want to feel at the end of this next year? Yeah. Do we want to feel like we just got off a, a, a party at a yacht? Yeah. Do we want to just feel like, wow, are you kidding me? And, and I, I say all this to means we're introducing new. Like if you pause and if you honor those moments, it allows individuals and it allows the team to start having new conversations that they've never had before. Yeah, that's, that's good, John. Amanda, you were going to say something. No, I think the 
the the listening piece and the slowing down and not judging the complaint is really important. And I think that that's where for leaders, it's the same with parenting. Like if I'm not leading myself well, then I'm not in my adult self to be able to handle the complaints of of my children. And so I think that there is like stepping in if, if as a leader, I'm caring for myself and taking ownership of that, then I can hear the complaints without taking them on or feeling that shame about myself or like needing to fix. And it's like, okay, listen, tell me more. Uh, I think that that is an empathy piece. And I think that to me too, there's like this, like we've all been there. Like you're not bad or wrong. Nothing is like bad about you, broken, wrong with you for having these, these feelings and these experiences. We've all been there. Tell me more. And John, I love you. It's like, how is like, how do we want this to go the next time? How do you want this to look? How do you, I think that those are really powerful questions to invite them into what it is that is occurring to them and that they need right now. Just real quick. So then step number one, when someone comes to you and they're wrestling with burnout, it's 10 times more important to connect with them versus to correct them. Like connect with mm-hmm. them, empathize. It's a fantastic space for empathy. And again, I'm not an all empathy all the time guy, I th- but I think it's an important first step in the conversation. The second thing is, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, if you don't know how something can be abused, you're probably abusing it. How a leader responds to a teammate when they are feeling burnout or tired will reveal whether a leader has weaponized meta performance or not. If a leader, yeah. if a leader responds defensively, antagonistically, frustratedly, mm-hmm. then in that moment. You, and no problem, but in that moment, I guess problem. In that moment, you've weaponized <laughs> meta performance. And and by the way, we'll get to the em- employees in a second. But and one of the phrases I say sometimes is when a leader turns on his his or her followers, he's abdicated his right to lead. And so, you, mm. what does it look like for you to stay in a place of advocacy for the person? And obviously, I'm talking to people who, in some ways, I'm a boss sometimes. And I know that that's a challenge for me sometimes is to stay in a place of advocacy, to stay in a place of humility, to stay in a place of like compassion and care. Not that we can't still care about the mission, but that in that moment, it's important to connect. I think another tip or something that, that I like to look for, and this can come from either the leader or the individual or both, is looking for broken agreements. Like as uh, great, now that we have new information on the table that somebody is feeling a certain way that they maybe aren't, aren't wanting to feel, do we have any broken agreements? Did the leader not do things that they said they were going to do? When you're, Did speaking, the in- you're speaking, John, to something that came up for me as you were talking earlier, which is when, when somebody comes to you and says that they're, they're burnt out or tired, that, that's revealing that something isn't working. What Dan said is beautiful. Something's not working. And when a team and a company can can move from the, hey, I'm feeling a certain way to the beautiful new space of something's not working, then, and really, it's almost like, where are you going to go from something's not working? A lot of people choose to go, it's their fault. This is never going to change. I've been here before. I think through MetaPerformance, when you get to something's not working, we celebrate that and go, man, what do we get to do about it? Is there something, which is why I love to look for broken, broken agreements. Cause here's the fun part. If there aren't any, and often there aren't cause, cause people aren't really great at making agreements anyway. (laughs) We we live in a world where expectations are, are all over the place. 
So when it's like, hey, yeah, no, we, we, I feel this way and we can't really find any agreements that have been broken. Well, fantastic. I wonder what new agreements mm -hmm. could be made that would be new structure, that would be new scaffolding so that this never happens again. Yeah. You know, I want to see where this goes for a second, just to push back a little bit. If I'm tired, if I'm exhausted, I want to suggest, and I'm open to being wrong about this, but I want to suggest that that's not an evidence necessarily that something's not working. And again, I want to go back to the Ironman training. You train for an Ironman, you're exhausted afterwards. You wouldn't say that that's not working. You just say that's what happens when you train for an Ironman a that's certain way. Happens. So it might yes. mean that something's not working. It's a, it's a difference between... If it's, well, I guess it depends on, 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 on the goal, on. right? It depends. It, the Yeah, it, what I want to suggest is, is it a complaint or is it an observation? If it's a complaint, then by definition something's not working. So if you're tired and exhausted and you're complaining, and I don't mean that in coaching vernacular, I know you all know what I'm talking about, but in coaching vernacular, if it's a complaint, then that's a thing. But if it's an observation, that's a different thing to solve for. Go ahead, Dan. Well, yeah, like I, I guess it depends on the goal. Like if your goal is to finish the Ironman and not feel tired, like that, that's that. So yeah, it is it a complaint or is it an observation? I think it's a, a really interesting distinction. My assumption, and maybe this is a, this is the premise that we get caught up on a little bit is that, when somebody is coming to you and saying, hey, I'm tired, that, that that primarily comes from a place of complaint. I don't want to be tired. I don't like how I feel. This shouldn't yes. be the result of what we're yes. doing. Yep. And when I say something's not working, that, that could be in them, that could be in the system, yep. that could be with the goal. But, the, but, but what John said is like, what if we sit in that question and start exploring like, well, let's, if something's not working, let's fix yep. it. Let's, let's step in that together. When I think what Jason is saying is actually important, especially if you're a leader to really lean into that. Hey, thank you so much for letting me know that this is here. Do we want a different outcome next time? Mm -hmm. Cause that's like, Hey, yes. they're complaining about it. We want a different vision in the future or no, no, I just wanted to let you know I'm tired because like, no, I actually really love the job I just did. And, and of course I'm going to be tired and, and you know, <laughs> it's why I'm napping under my desk whenever you come into the office. <laughs> I want to ask Dan and Amanda who are both parents, it's a growth curve for me. I think this is something that parents learn faster than people who don't raise families. And it's a, it's a growth curve for me to realize that I can be simultaneously exhausted and happy. Yes. You know, like, because for a long time, I associated exhaustion with unhappiness or even being sick with being unhappy. You know, like I can have a sore throat or I can, you know, I can have a cold. But I remember a few years ago, I had this kind of aha moment when I was like, Jason, you can be sick, you can have a cold and not be unhappy. Those, th those two things don't have to go together. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at Amanda and Dan, is that something that with, with I'm, I'm assuming with parenting the first year especially? Oh, like the most exhausting week of my life was when my children were born. Not more exhausting for my wife. I'll be honest about yes. that. But um, <laughs> I'll be careful. I'll be careful. But, yes. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> Amanda's gonna reach to the screen and choke me. Um, but but one, one of the one of the things that I noticed about that was I'd never felt more content, more um, full of inspiration in life, and yet I was physically exhausted. Yep. And I think the tiredness is what you sign up for. Like the first six weeks are so exhausting. <laughs> like the baby is up all the time. I nursed my kids. So it was me who was up with them in the middle of the night. You've just given birth. Like, like it's, and like, then you get, I, for me, it's like at three weeks, you're just exhausted. But you, the, 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 
circumstances of the baby last for a few weeks longer than that. And you get to choose what you make of it. And it's like, this is the season. This is what I signed up for. And I get to choose how I respond to that. And so it reminds me of high performance athletics. Like if you get to the end of a game or a race and you're not tired. Yeah. That's a problem. That's the evidence that (laughs) something's not working. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that's not working. Well, that's true. Like, like if you, if you set a world record and you're not tired, they're still like, wow, like I got to go faster. Like, so like, I feel like parenting, like it's kind of the same sort of metaphor where there are things that we want to be poured completely out for. Yes. And then that's a, that's a whole nother conversation of like, are the things you're expelling energy for worthy of that energy? (laughs) Um, So so slow down on that. That's actually really interesting, Dan. In the high performance athletic space, it makes so much sense, right? You train, you live your life in a certain way so that you can pour yourself out over the course of, you know, a game, over a race, so that at the end, like one of your signifiers is like, I spent, I spent myself in in a worthy way. To me, that correlation is not as clear when you move over into career and a workspace and a a nine to five or, you know, however many hours people are working these days. And, And it's almost like how do individuals create their own spaces to go perform and even how this goes to team leaders how are you setting an example and setting a vision and intention for your team to go, hey, this is what I think it looks like for us to go play the game this week, mm-hmm. this month, this year. Hey, guys, mm-hmm. this is how this is how I want our performance to look. This is how I want us to feel at the end. Like imagine if every if every corporate leader like had a great idea of like what their team would look like in the way that a, a, a sports team looks like that where you're, where you're exhausted at the end, but you've given it all. Yeah. And now you, you know, you have a plan to go refresh your body. So you get to do it again. And that's, that's the big thing, John, is I think, you know, in, in all sport, there's a beginning, middle and end. And it's very clear about, I mean, imagine an Ironman where you're running. And then as soon as the Ironman was done, the people running the, the Ironman said, surprise, you're going to run another one. <laughs> starting right now. And so I think, I think it's important for leaders to think about, and in our coaching work, we even use the word sprints and saying, okay, here's a sprint, but then also when does the game stop? I don't think employees yeah. or teammates and companies are not against you moving the goalposts after a significant accomplishment, but, but maybe the missing piece is what does the rejuvenation period look like between goalposts yes. moving? Yeah. It's the rhythms. It's living. And uh, Jason, you know, our parents were both school teachers and I would watch this like school rhythm, right? So you have the startup of school where there's a lot going on and you have the close of the semester and there's different things, but it was like this rhythm. And when I got out of the educational space and sometimes there weren't necessarily these rhythms, uh, these natural rhythms, like, oh, I need to take ownership and create that for myself. Um, and create these rhythms if you're not in a business or a work that naturally has those rhythms of extreme pouring out and then yes. rest. What's interesting is as you're talking about this, like, so for anyone listening to this, I think about this in terms of our own team, like, cause we are in the, the, I would say the embryonic stages of really developing these internally mm-hmm. for ourselves and then for our culture. But if you're running a company or you're leading a team and you don't have any sort of rhythmic sort of uh, structure mm-hmm to what you're doing, that's a fascinating notice. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I just expect people to be at eight all the time, like eight, at an eight out of 10 all the time, 
all the time. Like there's no, you know, it's like, okay, well, like you can do that. My guess is they'll be running at fives for most of the time. And that, that's the most performance you're going to get out of your team. And it's worth noting, I, I did an interview with Juliet Funt uh, for the Global Leadership Summit where we talked exactly about this. So we'll put that in the show notes. And mm-hmm. she, she talks, she's, a, she's brilliant at this. She, uh, she wrote a book that just came out called Time to Think. And she talks about, you know, like as an athlete, she does, I don't, I'm not sure if she uses the athlete metaphor, but you have practices and then you rest. You have games and then you rest. Yes. You have tournaments and then you rest. She asked the question, what does it look like for companies to intentionally design collective yes. synchronistic rest where everyone knows they're off the clock at this time, which you're right, Dan, there's uh, room for growth, I think, for us. A lot of our work is very asynchronistic as well because everyone's doing their own thing. But th- there's another piece that I wanted to throw out. One of the things that I started doing with my coaching clients, and I don't, I don't have very many, uh, the people on this call, Amanda, Dan, and John have, I think, three, at least three times more clients than I do. So they're, they're, they've gotten a lot better, a lot faster than I have because get, they're getting more reps. But one of the things that I've done with my clients is built in, we have our sprints, and then we built in a couple weeks of recouping between sprints. And so we'll still have sessions, we'll still meet, but it'll be a little bit of a, huh, okay, how did that last sprint go? What did we learn? How are you doing? How are you feeling? You know, then the next week we're going to do it again. How, how, how are you feeling? Let's take a little bit of a breath. Let's create a little bit of a space. It's kind of like a, a water parks where you have the, the, the rocket ride of the tunnel slide and then you land in the bottom and it's this, this kind of ocean of rest and relaxation and you're in, you're just in this high octane tube and now you're floating in this tub. And like I've noticed with my clients, they really appreciate designing a tub after the tube in order to just relax and then kind of gird your loins and get back into the, go up the ladder and get back in the tube again. And I think that could be a, a great question for leaders. Well, you said something earlier that I, I like, I just, it really knocked me back a bit and I've heard you say it before, but I, I wanted to kick it around just for a minute was this whole idea that if, if leaders turn on their followers, they've abdicated their responsibility of leadership. Is the inverse true? How would you articulate the inverse? That if followers turn on their leader, they've abdicated their responsibility of followership. Well, I would say if the they, if a follower, for lack of a better phrase, turns on their leader, they're not following anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, and, and what's so interesting, and the reason that was resonating in my head is usually when burnout, I, at least the, my perception of burnout occurs for people, that's what happens. Mm. One of those two things, either... If you're the leader and you're burned out or you have followers who are burned out, you'll, we turn to the, to the, they're the reason why this isn't working. Um, that seems to be like the de facto, like default uh. downshift that I see in a lot of, so this is connected. Maybe it took me a while to get, to get there, but th- does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. How blame, blame is potentially one of the symptoms of a burnout system. And I think, I think that's a good point and, and for both individuals and followers and leaders to look for is agency. You know, where is the ownership? Where is the agency? How can you have these conversations like where you're talking about a subject that's in front of you, but you still retain the agency? Yeah. Like I, th- I think that's a, we- a really weak muscle in a lot of people to be able to have uncomfortable, difficult conversations about things mm-hmm. that we might not have the answer on while retaining agency. Yep. Yeah. Right. We're so quick. We're so quick to say it's you, it's them, <laughs> it's this, it's, it has nothing to do with me. I find, especially around burnout. Yeah. Cause once you, once you realize that you're burning out, you, you almost start to get nervous. You start to freak out. It's like, Oh no, I, I thought this was working sure. and now it's not for sure. 
And your body almost wants, it's almost like, I got to get rid of this. I got to get rid of this. It's like, no, calm down. Like, great. You, you've now recognized that you're in a period of burnout, that, w- that the system that used to work for you no longer works for you anymore. Mm. Please don't give away your agency. That'll yeah. make this a much longer pathway back to, back to getting out of this. So it's just a small point, something to look for. That's brilliant, John. Uh, abdicating your agency will actually speed up the burnout process and then it becomes a, vis- a vicious yep. cycle versus a virtuous cycle. one. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, I want to pivot a little bit to, or as uh, Jeff Lambert, who's one of our best clients at uh, Lambert PR and Ticker, uh, he would say flip turn. Uh, this he'll, he'll be very happy. That's from swimming. Flip, yeah, flip turn. And by the way, so his, his whole mission in life is to help to get people to replace the word pivot with flip turn because when, <laughs> when you pivot, you actually lose energy, you lose momentum. But when you flip turn in a, in a pool, you actually create momentum because you're springing off of the thing that you were pivoting away from or flip turning away Genius. from. Genius. Yeah. All, all I'm thinking about is Ross Geller yelling pivot, pivot. with a yeah. couch. <laughs> flip turn. And I'm, I, and, I'm ima- and I'm imagining all of us doing flip turns in a pool, and I'm trying to figure out who would be who would be Try capable of a solid I'm, flip turn. I'm sure yeah, I'm I'm like swallowing water sideways or something. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be very good either. But uh, so I, I do want to shift to or flip turn to uh, the 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 person who works for a manager. So we we're, we're hoping that our uh, our teams, our leaders, our CEOs, our C suites, the managers who we work with. We'll see this as a resource for people on their teams. And so they, you know, we come in, we jazz them up, we give them all these tools, uh, we set them loose. They're, they're going above and beyond. They're, they're inviting everyone on their teams to go above and beyond. And sometimes it feels a little less like an invitation, a little more like a mandate or, or dictatorial. You, you're going to get better. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> kind of a thing. And let's say you're now under the thumb <laughs> of a leader who is sincerely doing their best to aspire towards meta performance, but you're getting tired. You're, getting, you're feeling burnout. Maybe you're losing energy or you're kind of resenting the fact that we've come into your world in this very invasive way. What would you say to people on a team working for a leader who is all excited about this, but you're getting tired. If I got to speak with them individually, I would, uh, I would really help them clarify what they're, what they're noticing, what they're feeling. Probably most importantly, I care about what they want. Mm. And to me, that conversation really only ends in two spaces. It ends in somebody figuring out, being able to put words to maybe how they're feeling Mm then being able to move past that into going, hey, okay, let me start putting onto paper what I would love. Because I don't think a lot of people have any clue. And I don't, we, I don't think we teach people how to spend time on figuring out what you want. Yeah, yeah. I think we spend a lot of time teaching people like, here, do this. Um, and so often, like, man, imagine if individuals, I, I know the leaders I speak with love it when individuals come to them and say, hey, this is what I'm noticing this is what this is who I want to be and what I want my life to look like. Can we make that possible? Yeah. The leaders I know are like, oh my goodness, who are, who is this person? Well, what type of <laughs> this is a credit? Let me help you. Let me help you create that. And then I would say the alternative pathway that we find is someone who is committed to the old way of doing things. And that's a really interesting one. I say interesting because it's I strive my hardest to stay out of the moral, mm. good, bad, right, or wrong. Mm-hmm. But we at Novus Global really believe in meta performance. And when a leader is committed to moving into exploring what they're capable of, uh, not every individual is going to want to go there. Yeah. 
And I, I actually enjoy it when a leader and an individual and myself can sit there and go, hey, guys, I think we, I think we found the misalignment. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to fight about it. And we don't have to spend the next two years making lives miserable about it. How do we make this the best ending we could ever imagine? <laughs> like, hey, leader, you know, how long would you like this person? You know, what would you, man, I'd love to have them for the next six months. Hey, individual, <laughs> you know, can you do that? But then how can the company help you find your next move? I think a lot of people roll their eyes when they first hear this because it's like, no, you can't have that level of honesty and, and there's no way. I think companies really get the back end of relationships wrong, like the, the termination. I think when you, when you lead and have these open and honest conversations, the company can win, the individual can win. It, it, to me, the word is honor. I think all parties can be honored. Mm. Even when an individual doesn't want to grow, it's like, great. You know, like, thank you for your honesty. This is where the company is going. So how can we honor the ending of this? So those are, Jason, those are my two two ways I see it going from my perspective. That is the reason why it's scary to bring up, by the way. It's scary for leaders to help people on their teams figure out what they want because what if what they want is someplace else and that's scary. And then, of course, for people on a team, it's scary to talk to your leader about what you want because what if you want isn't what they want and you have to leave. So there's some there's some mistakes there. But I do like what you said, John, in terms of honoring. And if we're talking to a team member, what does it look like for you to talk about how you're feeling from a place of neutrality and honor for the person who's leading the company or the team and I will say this, there is a pain of following somebody that the person leading will never really understand. And conversely, there's a pain of leading that people following a person will never understand. And I think it's important for both parties to be empathetic towards the other. Hey, I know that you're in charge and that comes with a burden that I don't quite get. Just like having kids is a burden that I don't understand. And to say, hey, I want to talk about how I'm feeling, acknowledging that you've got your own pressures and things you're going on with. Mm-hmm. I think that goes a long way to, to just build on John's concept of honoring. And I think this is, this is a, um, I don't know if it's a challenge, probably more of an invitation to any CEO or leader of a team or a company out there. Have a vision for how people leave your yep. company. And don't let that be a yep. secret. Like I, th- I think most people have a vision for how you onboard and how you hire, like have a mm-hmm. vision for how people leave it. And imagine if you were able to talk openly about that amongst your team and say, hey, when it aligns that you're here and, and when the vision aligns and, and when the growth aligns, it's awesome. And mm-hmm. then we really value when it doesn't align anymore, here's that process for us. And and I actually think that takes a lot of the scariness out of it for yes. most people because it's like, oh, my goodness, like, wow, these people are humans. They get it. Things change. Mm-hmm. Circumstances change. And um, to me, that that is life giving to, to all parties. Yeah, I agree. All right, Dan and Amanda, what else would you say to people who are feeling burnt out and and feel like they're being dragged through this meta performance, all these shenanigans? I think one of the one of the things is back to the the agency and the ownership conversation. So oftentimes when I'm talking with somebody and that's where they are, this isn't the first time that it's showed up for them. And oftentimes when we start looking at if there's a pattern somewhere, maybe like that overwhelm, that burnout is something that comes up whenever they're going after a larger vision. And that's something that has maybe kept them where they are and isn't necessarily where they want to be. Or maybe this is showing up in other areas of their life too when a new challenge comes comes their way that maybe they didn't ask for, which is kind of what happens hmm. in life. 
So it probably is showing up other places. And so then it's like, hey, oh, goody. Like, this is a fantastic opportunity to notice that this is something that's coming up. Let's pause for a minute. Notice what's coming up for you. Notice the beliefs that you're having about yourself, the beliefs that you're having about the outside circumstances, the beliefs that you're having about the goals, the beliefs that you're having about your teams. And let's really unpack those beliefs and those judgments. And then that gives them the opportunity to really do some exploring. I think then the the agency and the ownership then comes like, okay, great. What do you want to do with what you're learning right now? What do you want to do with those beliefs? Are those things that you want to keep? Are there things that you want to change? Um, And ownership in that mindset. And then I think it is ownership around, okay, great. What do you want to do about it? There might be some self leadership that Mm -hmm. goes on. There might be some requests that they could make, like all sorts of things that they could then do. But for me, it's like the mindset and the agency piece. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Dan, what do you think? I think what John and Amanda said is really, really good. But what's coming up for me was um, if you're on a team and you feel like you're being dragged through the the process of growth, I just would invite you to, to consider the alternative and consider it honestly. Because I think sometimes we resist the thing we're in, but not really truly think about what the alternative would be. And is that a place we want to live? <laughs> so like, I, I know I've done this where, you know, I'm like, oh, I, this, this sucks. I don't like this. But then when I slow down and think about what, what the alternative is, that sucks a lot more. <laughs> and, and there is like, I, I, yeah, I don't have to, I, no <laughs> targets and uh, just kind of coast. And uh, yeah, how would I feel in yeah. that system? And then begin to, because, and that kind of comes back to that agency conversation of, you do have a choice. You don't have to stay here. And to John's point, like, if you're not aligned ultimately with the values and the culture of the organization, then then it's good for everyone that you're not there and, or, you know, you, you, you move on personally. But I think, I think most of us, what's missing in most of our lives is the call to adventure, is the call to responsibility and growth in a way that r- involves us doing what we talked about earlier. Like, truly, truly growing in a holistic way to rest better, to care for ourselves better, to achieve more. Um, and if you want the alternative, which is like to not do that, I, I personally like go do it, but like be honest with yourself. Yeah. And the cost of that, it's interesting. You know, I'd look at some of the companies we work with and probably if they were to plateau, they get maybe acquired and dismantled for parts and there'd be layoffs or competitors would put them out of business or, you know, those types of things. So it's an interesting thing there. Yeah, I want to I want to make a note it's, it's from I think Dan's last sentence but be, he said the phrase be honest with yourself. And it's easy for us to say that. I think that's a challenge for most people. I think I see that a lot when working with our like one of the reasons to have a coach fine. <laughs> I'm helping somebody to be, help me be honest with mm-hmm. myself for what I really want, for what I'm really complaining about, for what's really wrong. And I mean, even when we think about employees at companies, often often they try to segregate their life from their work. Mm. So that their life might be falling apart. And then that might be a lot of their work complaints is, is just flowing it in. And so I'm, I'm trying to think as we speak to the individual, it's like, yes, my, my dream is to, to, for you to be honest with yourself. But I also, like some people are like, ah, I should just be able to be honest with myself. No, it takes time. It takes intention. It takes challenge, wrestling probably. And so give yourself the space to do that, I might say. 
Well, that actually leads into my last question, which is what are some of your favorite ways to rest? What are some of your, so with all of us, this ain't our first gig. And not only do we help companies create a meta performing culture, but we try to embody that as well with us. And it's a contact sport and things are changing. I remember there's a picture of us from five years ago. Uh, there's just the four of us and that was the company, you know, and <laughs> fast forward five years and there's over 50 of us on different continents and coaching hundreds of clients on over, I think, 16 different countries and things continue to rapidly change. And so we know what this feels like. We know the, uh, the pain. And in a lot of ways, mm. frankly, I would, I wouldn't say that a lot of that's driven by me. I would say a lot of that's driven some of us may be driven by me, but a lot of it's driven by just our ethos. That's just kind of what we do around here. And that's the natural expression of a certain set of values that we have. So that being said, and I can of course share from my life as well, but with the three of you, how have you learned how to rest? How have you learned how to recreate, recreate? How have you learned how to maintain your energy so that you don't burn out? I have learned a great deal over the last five years of working with the three of you about this. Mm -hmm. And there are two kind of big pieces for me. One is celebration. Mm -hmm. I brought that up earlier. I've really realized how not good at that I truly am celebrating myself, celebrating my achievements. We do acknowledgements as a part of our firm culture, but doing that, slowing down, there's an incredible amount of vitality and energy that flows from it. And, and it's simple. It doesn't take that much time. That's probably item number one. And then there's an old um, Hebrew um, uh, line. I think this is out of the book Sabbath by Josh Hachel, but uh, the whole the whole idea of if you work with your mind, rest with your hands. If you work with your hands, rest mm -hmm. with your mind. And I kind of do both, but now it's more mind than hands. So when I go do something physical, like ride my bike 200 kilometers, or yeah, John was up here and we rode through the mountains, like going to do something that's outside of the ordinary, that is not something I normally do, that gets me out of my context, that, that, that I find incredibly restoring. So prioritizing that, I think, is something that I didn't do very much of uh, five years ago, more than five years ago. And having a, a much more regular rhythm around that has really transformed the way I rest. That and sleeping. I'd always recommend sleeping. Yeah, take a nap sometimes. Yes, yeah, st start with sleep. Oh my gosh, naps. I am a huge proponent. I That's another thing. Guys, let's figure out napping in the corporate <laughs> structure. Like I don't, <laughs> like meetings, 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 me always on. Like I love a good 10 minute like it's truly like your, your mind cycles. That's all it does. And then it's like, okay, boots back up. But, uh, so I'm a big fan of that. I agree with Dan. Uh, I feel like I use my brain so much every day. And so physical exercise is massive for me. I love to surf. I love to run. I love to cycle. Um, just being outside. I think I'm very cognizant of how much time I spend indoors versus outdoors. And what's interesting about this conversation is, how I used to rest eight years ago, eight to 10 years ago is based on who I used to be my old pattern, right? I would, I would guard my energy. I would store things up in order to be able to achieve the thing we're talking about where I think as this whole time, as we're talking about metaphor performance and, and transforming and, and figuring out new ways to do new things, I would say my rest, I, and I, I think I'm in the middle of this right now. I'm, I've sort of uncovered that I used to think I could only rest away from, from other people. I needed to be by myself. And now I'm actually realizing there's a wealth of energy for me around specific people. Specific people may be doing specific things. This comes from making requests. Mm -hmm. 
this comes from being clear about that. Um, but I think that as, as I build my new, you know, ship to go where I'm going to go next, I think that is actually, I, I wouldn't have guessed that five years ago. I would have guessed, nope, I know exactly how to rest. I know exactly how the system works. So I just need to get the most I can out of that. Now I, I actually find that my rest system is changing as I grow and change and as my vision grows and changes. Yeah, I really like that a lot, John. <clears throat> I think sometimes for me, when I get really, really tired, I think the last thing I want to do is talk to somebody. I talk to people all day. The last thing I want to do is talk to somebody. And one of my mentors these days is a guy named Dave Gibbons. And he's been asking me, who are the people that energize you? And then giving yourself permission to hang out with them. Or like, it's funny, you know, so like I'll talk with John. John and I live pretty close together. So we'll get like a, a, a 45 minute to an hour dinner and so we don't like to hang. We don't have to hang out for the whole night, you know. But we can have like a quick drive-by dinner, or Dan and I'll talk on the phone, or Amanda and I are related, we're siblings, and and she'll send a text like, "Hey, sister, call," or I'll send a text, "Hey, brother, call," or like Johan is another guy in our firm, and and I'll, we'll just call and talk for a little bit, and I'll go for a walk. And before it's like going to the gym. Beforehand, I would have told you I don't have energy to talk to Amanda. I don't have energy to talk to Dan or you know hang out with Joe or John or whoever. And then, but afterwards, it's always really rejuvenating. And it, it is a paradoxical truth that people have to master that sometimes expending energy actually creates energy. There are places where expending energy creates energy and it doesn't make sense. On that topic, and as we think about teams and as we think about leaders doing this within their own, uh, talking mm -hmm. about this, like it's actually like I find that I get a lot of rest out of telling people that I'm tired and out of being able to tell people about what I've been up to and what I've been going through. Like it's very, in a way, it's almost like it brings me into my life in a in a fresh yeah. way. Um, some things that have uh, helped me. One, I think one thing is is that it's not a one size fits all thing. For so sure. in different seasons, my it's it's like energy stewardship for me. And so, like, how am I stewarding it? Where's like because like with my kids, there might be more energy intense seasons. So then, what am I doing to to fill back up? A, a key thing for me has been I have margins everywhere. Hmm. I don't do anything back to back. I did for a season, like just rushing, 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 rushing. And then my nervous system is like completely activated and it doesn't know how to calm itself down. And so just creating margins, creating longer drive times. Now that we started driving places again, hmm. like just creating bigger, bigger margins. And then to your guys's point about like other people, I've really looked into places where um, people are pouring into me. So I'm pouring out a lot to others. And so intentionally being around people, not only that give me energy, but like it's understood that it's their job to pour in yes. and nurture me. Like that's the definition <laughs> of the relationship. I'm not here yeah. to give. I am here and you you are going to pour in, into me. And those spaces have been really valuable for me as yeah. well. Jason, I'm, I want to know your answer. Well, I mean, one was talking to people you know, I picked up the piano again. I have a whole long story about that that I won't get into, but I'm getting pretty good at it. You know, I've got some Harry Connick Jr. staples under my belt. I'm learning some jazz. I've got some, I learned most of the La La Land soundtrack on the piano and that's a lot of fun. And, uh, but you know, it's funny, it's amazing how quickly I can turn something into work, you know? And so <laughs> I think the, a question that I want to ask people to think about as we're thinking about burnout is um, think about the things that you reflexively do to rest 
everyone has things reflexively that they do to rest. And I'm not happy to admit this, but like during the pandemic, especially, you know, the world shut down. I live alone. Work was done. I go see the sunset. And then I'd watch like three episodes of Friends. And to be totally honest, I mean, one is because I have an appetite for the industry and I really enjoy watching pop culture things and seeing how did it work at that time and that kind of thing. So that's interesting. But really, if you were to ask me, is that energizing in a way that takes me where I want to go? The answer is no, but that's a reflex or like looking at my phone. I reflexively kill yeah. time by scrolling yeah. on Instagram. And of course, during the pandemic, Instagram was a place for like kittens and people, pictures of people's food. And suddenly everyone became an expert on race relations and, and virology <laughs> and, all, all, and, and, and government and <laughs> politics, all these kinds of things. It became very like, oh, God, I don't enjoy looking at Instagram anymore. Um, but it, it didn't stop me from looking at it. So I think that was a place of rest suddenly became a place of anxiety. And so look at the things that you do reflexively and then ask the question, is it working? And then another question, even if it is working, whatever that means, ask, are there any things that are better? And I think, you know, so yeah. as we all kind of step into that process, it'd be much better for me to let go of the gram and grab my phone and call my sister. That would probably lead to not only more deeper relationship with my sister, but also decrease my anxiety most of the time, depending on what Amanda and I talk about. <laughs> but it'll, it'll have a net positive result. So those are some things that I'm learning and would love for our audience to think about. Dan, how about you? Yeah, no, I, I, thanks for answering the question. No, I absolutely, I think the thought of, of counterbalancing and noticing, like, it's like, there's, there's water in the toilet. You shouldn't drink it there. Like, ah. you know, there are, there are forms of rest that, that are pretty, you know, you might get a little sus sustenance from it, but it, it's probably not the most powerful thing to do. So, yeah, I think some other ideas for people out there is think about how you're wired. Like I'm very routine oriented. And so then actually a really healthy rest for me is to break mm. that routine up, whether that's, that's a 24 hour wilderness camping trip or mm. like, it's amazing to me how quickly 24 hours can go by if I'm in routine versus if I break up the, if I break up the routine, it's like, is this a week long? And it's amazing how refreshing that can be, not only when you come back to your work vision. It's like, oh my gosh, I see it with fresh eyes. If you have no routine at all in your day-to-day, -day, then maybe what are some routine restful activities that you can do that you can look forward to every week that are almost those, those hey, I don't get any of that in my work life. Great. That can be a real uh, safety for you on on the back end. And all of this, and just to wrap things up, first of all, thanks everyone. And maybe we'll do, we'll do probably longer conversations around rest and energy, and and dive deeper into practical tips. Uh, for those of you who are wanting an hour of that conversation, you might be a little disappointed. But uh, we wanted to present this as a conversation because burnout's happening all over the country and all over the world anyway. Yeah. Um, that's you know they're calling it the great resignation. People are resigning, retiring, rethinking their life, deciding to work less, etc. And so for those of us who are still in the game a little bit and still advocating and growing and building and, and creating the world, it's important for us to be thinking about how to do that well. The thing I want to say in closing to our listeners is, uh, you know, we talked about the costs of meta performance and all this kind of thing. Uh, I do want to close with the benefits of growth. You know, all four of the people on this call, our financial lives are radically different than they were five years ago. Our yeah. relational lives are in a radically different place than they were five years ago. You know, Dan's marriage is, is beautifully unrecognizable. And, and, and it was, it was fine before, but him and Laura just really created this beautiful relationship. Amanda with her sons has created a new relationship with her family. John and I are still, you know, doing whatever we are, we're doing in the singles. <laughs> and, and not only that, but the companies that we work with who have pursued meta performance inspire us. You know, when when people are doing happy dances in the hallways because they got bonuses because they of their performance, 
enhancement in the companies that they that they uh, work mm-hmm. in. You know, that's vacations they're paying for. That's acts of charity that they are able to do. That's uh, education funds. It's a little peace of mind for their children's future. There's something really beautiful about leaning into what are you capable of. There's something really beautiful about trying, you know, LeBron's in the NBA. He sleeps 12 hours a day. What's your version of the NBA for you? And striving to be, for us, it's being the, in the NBA of coaching because uh, these three people are some of the best coaches in the world. And I, and I actually mean that. That's not flattery. The three people that you've been listening to are some of the best coaches in the world. And if you're a leader, if you're a CEO, strive to be the best CEO in the world. If you are a manager, strive to be the best manager in the world. If you are supporting someone else and you're on a team, whatever role you play, strive to be the best at that in the world. Grow, reinvent what you're capable of. And then with that, learn how to rest. And what we want to promise you is that the journey is really worth it. And that's it's going to give you a full range of exposure to where you know we're all going to die someday. And when that happens, we can say we left it all in the field. So thank you, uh, Dan, John, and Amanda. Uh, we hope this is valuable for you. Thanks everyone for listening and have a great night. Thank you for listening. For more resources like this, as well as articles and videos by all of our coaches, go to novus.global and click on resources. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe. That helps us out a lot. Rate and leave a review. If you didn't like this, just leave us alone. We drop new episodes every week and we don't want you to miss out. If you want to explore hiring a Novus Global Coach or becoming an executive coach at the Meta Performance Institute for Coaching, email us at begin at novus.global or click the link in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. And remember, dare to go beyond high performance.